Welcome to the Confident Eaters Podcast, where you get proven methods to end overeating, emotional eating, and stressing about food. We're heading for harmony between your body, food, and feelings. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my team at Confident Eaters. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. I am Georgie Fear. I have with me today Shannon and Ariel from the Confident Eaters team. And we decided that we wanted to talk about intermittent fasting. Now, to be honest, Shannon decided she wanted to talk about intermittent fasting. And my first <laughs> thought was, oh, God, no, I really don't want to talk about that. <laughs> And then I was like, no, it is still something that we're hearing about quite a lot. Some people are putting out lots of misinformation about it. If I stay silent and encourage the team not to talk about it, then we are sort of preventing the counterbalance of perhaps some rational concerns about intermittent fasting. And, you know, I think talking about it in a way that is not all fairy tales and that's going to solve all your life's problems may help people who are considering if it's something that they should or must do into realizing that it's absolutely an option, but not one that they have to explore if it doesn't feel right to them. So today, when we talk about intermittent fasting, we have to clarify what we mean by terms. Intermittent fasting in its most strict definition is when people fast, usually we're talking about 24 hours and above. Some people will fast for even longer than 24 hours. The more common practice is technically called time-restricted feeding. And that would be when people decide that every day of the week, they're simply going to condense their eating window so that their regular eating window, instead of being 12, 13, 14 hours as it is for the average person, they're going to try and condense it to less than 12. And protocols vary. Some people will restrict their eating window to 10 hours. Some people will restrict it to nine, eight. And as with all things, we can take this to the extreme and go even shorter than that. But basic premise is intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is the practice of not eating for set periods of time. Usually this is done for the purposes of weight loss. That's the number one reason why people do it. However, there's also a lot of claims that are made implying that not only is it helpful for weight loss, but that it's helpful for cognitive function and improving your cardiovascular disease risk and even improving brain function and brain health. Keep all of those things in mind as we go about our discussion today. Another phrase or word that comes up a lot in discussing intermittent fasting is autophagy. Autophagy is a totally natural process whereby cells break down and it's a sort of cleaning out the old damaged or abnormal proteins and things. So when you need to clean house, you sort of dust behind the couch and all those things. So your brain goes through autophagy and clears out old neurons and so on. So it's a normal part of cell turnover. Okay. So with those out of the way, I always think it's important to talk about our personal experiences with the topic. So uh, Shannon, take us through your experience here. Have you done this voluntarily, involuntarily? What's up? Voluntarily. Yes. Yeah, so when I first started my healthy eating journey, I thought intermittent fasting, like this is how you do healthy eating. Like this is part of it. So like, not eating. That's how I'm going to yes. do healthy eating. I'm not eating. Right. Right. Like it. when you put it like that, Georgie, it, you know, but <laughs> yeah. So when I first started my healthy eating journey, um, I gave it a try and it was sort of a mix of time restricted eating 
as well as intermittent fasting, like not eating for 24 hours at a time too. Cause I thought that's like, I wanted to be as healthy as I possibly could. Like I went in with really great intentions. I want to be as healthy as I possibly can. I was eating quote, super clean as well. And it quote was effective and that I lost weight. Like that's what I wanted to do when I set out to do it. So technically that was a check, but looking back on it now, it's interesting because I can see this really just like dichotomy that I split myself into like a healthy body versus a healthy, like mind, body, and emotional being. Right. Okay. Georgie's shaking her head. Yeah. It's just such a good (laughs) way of saying it, like splitting yourself. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I I really split that and I like cut off a lot of like how I was feeling around things and just toughing it out because I thought this is what I needed to do to be healthy. And it ended up being borderline, maybe orthorexic, which um, for those of you that are not familiar with that term is a type of disordered eating where maybe you delay social events or don't go to social events because you're so concerned with like, quote, clean eating. And that's where I was at. I would be like, well, I can't go do this because this isn't in my time window. This isn't in my feeding window. Right. right? So I wouldn't like say yes to that. Or I was, that was a time where I also would not go eat out with friends because of what was available on the menu. So it was not helpful for me in that way. And I gradually started to heal out of that when I learned a little bit more about, and um, Ariel's going to talk more about this with hormones and my health, like, it's like, Oh, maybe this is not the best thing for me to do. And maybe there's a path forward that involves like, can I have weight loss? Can I have bodily health as well as emotional health? I can feel good. I don't feel like I'm white knuckling it. I'm not deprived this whole time. So was it effective for me and my goals kind of, but not a holistic, like how I want to experience life and how I want to experience food. It sounds like it was effective for your goal of weight loss, but it came at the cost of maybe your mental health and your social connections and your ease around food. 100%. That's a really great way to put that. Yeah. So it's been nice to sort of repair some of that relationship. And I don't want to say intermittent fasting was the whole thing to blame here. I had a lot of other things going on at that time and a lot of like history with disordered eating. And so personally now it's not something I practice. I practice regular meals, but it's not, it's like I'm practicing time-restricted eating or fasting right now. Cool. Thanks. Uh, Ariel, I would love to hear your story. Have you ever done fasting? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. It didn't last very long, but I, and my, my results were not as positive as Christine. I didn't even have positive results. We all <laughs> have a good like, train wreck. Come on, let's hear it. You got the train wreck right here. So I had actually had learned about this device called Lumen. Have you guys heard of this device, Lumen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's this new device. Well, it's not new anymore. This was a couple of years ago when it came out and you blow into it and tell you whether you're burning carbs or fat. And there was this whole thing around metabolic flexibility and teaching your body to be a fat burning machine, et cetera. And I was really into running at the time. And one of the big pushes was getting up, doing your running, doing your cardio, not eating. So you train your body to tap into fat stores and then you blow into your lumen and you see what fat level you are. And then you get a certain amount of carbs or fats a day, blah, 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 because this is what's going to give you apparently like this magic metabolic state. 
where you're feeling amazing, you're burning fat, you don't have, you know, an appetite and you're at your optimal weight, you know, the whole fantasy. Well, it didn't take very long. I was just feeling like crap. I just felt horrible. I didn't have this energy. They kept talking about my performance tanked. When I go out for my run, I felt like my legs were so heavy. And then like, oh, you just need to wait. You just need to wait until your body transitions. That transition didn't happen because I ended up missing my period. And this is only within one month. So that's how quickly our hormones, our hormonal system, especially in a female, especially an athletic or leaner female, because I didn't have a lot of excess weight to lose. And so that makes it even more of an issue when you don't have fuel on board, especially when you're about to go do training. And the other ironic thing, which I learned as to why later, but when I would blow my limit, I'd be so pissed because I was trying to eat between 12 and eight. And I would always get a three, four, five. And that means I was never in fat burning. I was always in this carb burning. And so I'm like, okay, let's look at this from a physiological level. I'm not eating, I'm training and my body. So clearly I'm in a stress state. So then I checked my blood sugar and my blood sugar was like 120, but I hadn't eaten anything all day. And so I'm like, wait a minute. So my blood sugar's high. I'm in this like catabolic mode because I haven't eaten all day. I've done this training. I'm not hitting this supposed metabolic magical space where I'm in this zone where I'm burning fat and feeling great and not hungry. And it, I was actually having the opposite impact um, clearly. says so I missed my period and the other uh, things that happened were I started to not sleep well. And I just started to find myself thinking about food. Like it was like I was counting down the time to when I could finally start eating. And then it was almost like I didn't have control when I finally got the opportunity because it was like, oh, okay, I only have this time period to eat now. So I've got to get in what I need to eat. And it just made me much more food focused. And then when I started to look deeper into the research, I found all this research on for females specifically, something called within day energy balance is very important. And that means that when our bodies, when our brain perceives a calorie deficit larger than about 300 throughout a 24 hour period, it turns on all these metabolic signaling processes to slow down metabolism and basically put your body in low power mode. Cause our bodies are like, what? There's no fuel coming in. I'm going to shut everything down. And the reason my blood sugar was high and I wasn't burning fat was because my body was in a stress mode. So it had released cortisol to try to bring up blood sugar in order to provide the energy that I was demanding of it. And what a lot, and then when I went on the forum, I found all these women complaining of the same thing. I don't understand. The longer I fast, the higher my number goes. And they're like, why am I not losing weight? And all of these medical you know, issues going on and all these side effects. And they keep getting told they're not doing it right. And it's really, it's infuriating to watch people running themselves into the ground because of these quote experts who don't even know what they're talking about because they have alternative motives or they're selling something. And and then you end up doing a lot of harm. And so once I, and then on top of that, carbohydrate availability is also directly related to estrogen production. So basically, if you have your estrogen and cortisol are inverse based on carbohydrate availability. So if you're not consuming enough carbohydrate throughout the day, um, you're not going to be having normal, healthy hormonal function. Because again, it's telling the body stress survival mode, shut things down, storage, you know, we, we don't have the um, energy to burn, so to speak. So 
that was my experience. It didn't last very long. It was really negative. And I think in, in some ways it was, it was really a good thing I did. And I'm glad I experimented on myself because I learned a lot about our physiology and our metabolism that I would not, it's not like we learned this in RD school or something. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't exactly taught for my internship, but, um, but yeah, so that was, that was, that was my experience with intermittent fasting. You guys probably learned about RQ, respiratory quotient. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. So your respiratory quotient uh, would be lower first thing in the morning. If you're burning more fat and closer to like a 0.8, and then if you eat carbs, they'll go up closer to like a point one. And this all sounds great, except for the fact that dietary intake is only one factor in determining your RQ. And if you stress someone out and their body's producing extra cortisol, the whole game is going to change. And so you can't mm-hmm. just look at it like, oh, well, if I eat less carbs, I'm going to be burning fat. That'll be awesome. Because what typically happens, or I'll say what often happens is our body produces high amounts of these stress hormones. And so our body goes into gluconeogenesis and starts creating more carbohydrates, which are released from the liver. So your blood sugar actually goes fairly high. And in addition to that, your body isn't going to be like, oh, let's sacrifice those fat stores. Instead, it starts breaking down protein. So now you're breaking Mm -hmm. down your muscle that everybody wants to keep and you're storing any extra energy that you have in your fat cells. So it's like a reverse body comp in the worst possible way. And as you said, like the sleep problems are a very hallmark of people who are having too low carbohydrate availability, especially when you pair it with exercise. Yeah. And then on that note too, if you're going to train and you don't have the ability to have the power up, what you need to improve your performance or build lean tissue or uh, stimulate metabolism to create the adaptation you're looking for, then you're spinning your wheels. You might, you're not going to progress. And then the exercise isn't going to give you the physiological nor physique benefits you're looking for because you're, you're not providing the fuel you need and you're not creating then that whole cascade of adaptation um, in a positive direction. Yeah, you can't you can't recover well from exercise either. Even if no. you can muscle through one decent session in a carb depleted mm-hmm. state, you need to be ready to do the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And you know, getting in high amounts of training is typically what makes the best athletes. And so if yeah. your diet is holding you back and you're only able to complete a third as much training as you could otherwise, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see how this is not an ideal performance fueling plan, we shall say. Um, My personal experience, similar to your guys, did not produce the idyllic energy fat burning state. (laughs) I did this for one day, count it, one day. The reason I did this for one day is because I used to work for a company and this was something that they promoted for the weight loss clients to do. So since I'm coaching this, I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. Like I'm literally delivering a program that is telling these clients to not eat for 24 hours. And here I am like, dude, I want to eat. Like, <laughs> Am I like contractually obligated to do this fast? But I'm also an ethical person. I don't want to 
ask people and encourage them to do something that I wouldn't do myself, even though I could hide behind the internet and not actually do it. I'm not how I roll. So I am like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to not eat. Given the fact that I have a history of anorexia, given that I am still trying to train hard and be an athlete and all the contraindications in I go. So I decide I'm not eating for this day. I stack up a thousand things to do. Meetings, emails, creative projects, cleaning the house, doing laundry, just trying to stay entertained because obviously I'm getting hungry. I'm also getting miserable. And as the hours go by, and I'm hungry by nine or 10 in the morning, I'm fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, trying to make it until dinner, which was when I was planning to break my fast. I believe I broke into tears sometime in the early afternoon. And was like, why am I doing this? this <laughs> so uh, I do think I, I pulled it out. I pulled it out. I think I got shaky and had my you know forehead down on the kitchen table and some quivering mess. I pulled it out and I went to eat dinner and I made some gigantic meal and ate all of it. And then was still like not satisfied, even though my stomach was mm -hmm. quite bloated. I, I was, it was the worst night because I had come off this 24 hours of anxiety and misery. And then when I could eat, it was like the food wouldn't even register in a comfortable way. Mm. So I ended up massively bloated. And then I got the worst diarrhea that anyone has ever had because my poor system was in shock from all of this lack of food and then overabundance of food. And I have never even been tempted to try fasting again. It was horrible. Georgie, you know what, you know what they're going to tell you. These IFers are going to say, you were just not fat adapted, Georgie. Fat adapted. You're just not fat adapted. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't. You can say that to your six pack, Georgie. I mean, seriously. I know. Like, I'm, doing, I know, seriously. <laughs> I'm doing okay <laughs> athletic It's not the only way. And I was so much more miserable and had so much less energy doing all these restrictive things. So I'd be like, oh no, I don't want to uh -huh. take a gel, even though I'm going to do a 20 mile <laughs> run because I'm trying to lose weight. When we talk about intermittent fasting, I almost see it as the pinnacle of the side of nutrition that I just wish didn't exist, which is like mm. the contest and how little I can eat and how many food groups I can eliminate. I think all yeah. three of us are nodding because we just see this system, chew people up and spit them out and make them unhappy by telling them that they have to cut this out and cut that out and stop eating this and stop eating that or stop eating altogether for periods of time. And it's not making mm -hmm. them healthier. It's not making them happier. It's producing all sorts of problems. What are you going to say, Ariel? Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, it's just like listening to your story, thinking about my story, um, thinking about Shannon. It's just like this whole, if you look at where we are as coaches and how we've shifted our relationship with ourselves and how we work with our clients, this whole industry really outside of the way we approach working with people, I think it, 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 it basically encourages struggle. It encourages struggle. It encourages like this discipline from a negative aspect, not from a positive aspect. It, it's almost as if the more you struggle and the more pain you're in and the more you're suffering while you're going through this process of supposedly getting to a healthier body, the better you're doing. And it's the complete opposite. And you like see that shift. I mean, even 
I think back now and I was like, God, I would never do that to myself now. If I woke up hungry and I want to go for a run, I'd, the first thing I'd be like, okay, what can I have? A banana or like something fast because I wouldn't want to do that to my body. Yeah. And when you start to change your relationship with your body and you start to honor it and it's biofeedback, it's like you're not looking for all these crazy quote hacks and what are they called now? Those biohacks or whatever right. to to manipulate it as if we can have any concept of what miracles our bodies are and how incredible they are. And I think it's just so funny how, I mean, we know this, and this is what I learned from you, Georgie. It's like coaching clients just to start listening to hunger is a challenge, but people don't even want to do that. They just want to jump to eating eight hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We're eating out of hunger. Let's <laughs> just start eating. Yeah. It's amazing. Have, you know? Yeah. Not eating for large stretches of time intimidates people less than trying to yeah investigate their emotions or their appetites and figure out why they want to eat past full and other scary adventures. And why they think they need to put these chains on themselves in regards to their relationship with food. Yeah. I had a very similar conversation of what you were just talking about, this no pain, no gain mentality recently with a client And it's just so interesting that you said that we can't take the gentle path. We have to take this difficult path of, you know, it's let me suffer through and let me really tough it out and white knuckle it, which leads us to the conversation of moral licensing is this our way of saying like, well, I don't really have to quote change anything except for, I just have to tough it out and not you know, eat for a meal or not eat for a day. And then I can continue on doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Even though maybe this food makes me feel like crap. And even though I'm not happy and maybe people are having that same like dichotomy that I had of like, you know, disconnecting from their emotions and disconnecting from their body and their hunger signals, because yeah, it is, I feel like getting to be in touch with our hunger and fullness signals is some of like the hardest work that like I've done and that I've done with clients. It's like, this is the work, mm-hmm. but it also pays off in such dramatically yeah. positive ways. Like mm. I, I don't see, <laughs> this is going to sound so biased because it is, I'm a human. I have a bias. Um, I don't see people for whom intermittent fasting is working in the greatest sense of the word working. Um, mm-hmm. Now I have a different opinion on this topic than my husband does. My husband, Roland, is my favorite person in the world. And we see eye to eye on virtually everything in the world. This is one of the things we don't see eye to eye on. (laughs) And that's okay because I get to decide how I eat and he gets to decide how he eats. And I decide how I coach my clients and, you know, everybody gets along. So Roland does find that it's helpful for him if he wants to reduce his body weight or prevent it from going up to do a 24 hour fast once in a while. Now he does do some things that I think are a bit healthier than perhaps some of the more regimented or protocol structured elements of fasting. So for example, he will tend to do it when he feels up to it. Meaning like if he has a bad night's Mm. sleep, he's not going to do it that day. If he's really stressed, he's not going to do it that day. But if he feels like he indulges or has more food and drinks one night. And the next day he's like, I don't, I don't really feel like I need breakfast. I'm just going to fast today. 
he will. He also, I know him, he'll call it off if it is going terribly. So if he's feeling really rotten, he'll honor his body's being stressed and be like, no, I'm not doing this anymore, which I think is as much as I disagree with the whole idea of I'm not going to feed myself, at least calling it off when it passes a certain threshold of stressfulness, I do think is a wise tactic to include. And I think, you know, the other thing I, men are definitely less sensitive to food availability. So their bodies are not going to respond the same that a female body does in regards to the fasting. They've even shown this in research. So men are much less sensitive in that regard. So that's, that's cool. But I also think it's not always about the tool as much as it is the relationship to the tool. So fasting can be a tool, but the key is it's got to be a tool for somebody who resonates, not doing it because you think you have to, or you should do it. But the other piece of that, that I love what you said is he's not, it's not like he's using it. And it's like, Oh my God, if I don't do this 24 hour fast, Oh my gosh, I've gone off my plan, blah, blah, blah. He's the one in control. And he is deciding he uses a, it's flexible fasting. He uses it when he feels that it's necessary or when it feels an alignment for that day, but that's intuitive. That's not him feeling like he has to do it. We're coming from a place of struggle or fear if I don't do this. So I think it's, we have to be careful with the relationship with the tool, because I'm sure there are people that use fasting and it is coming from a place of self-care. Yeah. You know, for Um, us, it did it. But some people it will, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know Roland used to coach people, you know, to their body comp goals using fasting. And so when we were planning to do this episode, I, you know, we're sitting there eating lunch and I'm like, so what do you think? Do you notice differences between men and women and how they handle fasting? Or has it worked for a lot of people? Or did you have some people crash and burn on it? And One of the reflections that he made that I found particularly interesting was that men seem to do it with a mindset that is more relaxed, that this is going to simplify their life, free up time a couple of days a week to do other things and not be a big deal. Whereas women tend to go about it like, oh God, this is going to be horrible. And they're stealing themselves against this anticipated suffering, almost like it's a punishment or a thing that they have to put up and bear for the cost of losing weight. So immediately, if you set something up as I'm going to suffer through this, it's going to be a much less pleasant experience than if you set it up as you know something you're going to try out or choose to see if it improves your, your life or not. Um, mm-hmm. Shannon, uh, anything else about the differences between men and women? I think you told me you had some interesting research on this. Yeah, it is interesting. So men, as we know, operate on this 24-hour rhythm, whereas women in our reproductive years anyways, we operate on more of a 28-ish, give or take (laughs) a few days cycle. And it was really interesting here, um, Ariel, that you mentioned even when you tried fasting, that your period went away. Like for anyone listening, like that should be a red flag. If your period disappears, like go to your doctor. Yeah, That that is a really big deal. You know, women with our ebb and flow of hormones, our body responds different to fasting than men, because as you guys have already mentioned, like we've got estrogen dominant times, we have progesterone dominant times. And the way that those hormones respond to things like insulin levels and cortisol is going to depend on fasting because we know fasting 
is going to increase our cortisol over time. And there's some research and that we can pop these in the show notes, some articles, if people want to look at them about how our cortisol increases with fasting. And when cortisol goes high, research shows us that progesterone goes low. So they have an opposite inverse relationship. So if we're thinking about that in terms of our progesterone spikes on, well, depending on how people count it, it's like the second half of a cycle. So more in the like luteal phase. It's like post-ovulation. Yes, Mm post-ovulation. Perfect. So into the luteal phase, progesterone is more dominant. So like if someone is trying to fast during that time and progesterone is supposed to be high and now we're spiking cortisol with that, your progesterone is actually going to respond by dipping back down, which could lead to a delayed period or fertility issues. Like it's just throwing off that whole cycle with it. So it's, you know, for women thinking about fasting, it is more complex because our hormones are not the same day to day or changing. Whereas men don't have to worry about their estrogen and progesterone levels. They just get to rock and roll on that 24 hour cycle. And, you know, so that could be part of the difference of why men have an easier time with it. Like Georgia mentioned that Roland can deal with it. My husband, it's one of the only ways he's been able to lose weight has been intermittent fasting. Well, more time restricted feeding intermittent fasting. So it's just interesting to see the differences that we have there. Yeah, it really, really is. And I know all of us, as much as we personally have had negative experiences with fasting and perhaps have seen it have negative fallout for our clients. I also know that you two would back me up in saying that if this is working for somebody, mm. nobody should be you know, able to talk you off of something that is truly making you feel good. So I wouldn't want anybody. Yeah, exactly. 100%. We don't want want anybody to feel judged or shamed because this is something that they have found helpful. I think we're speaking to people that are like, wait, but I became a raging, cranky, sleep deprived, non-cycling mess. What's wrong with me? Did I not do the intermittent fasting right? And I think that's not the case because there's a lot of negative side effects that go along with it. As you were talking about the you know, the drop in progesterone, like one of progesterone's jobs is to maintain a pregnancy if an egg is fertilized. Mm -hmm. So it goes without saying, ladies, if you are trying to maximize your fertility or start a family and get pregnant, fasting would be one of the worst things you could do. There's certain caveats or certain people for whom things are really contraindicated. Mm -hmm. People with a history of eating disorder, contraindicated. People who are trying to get pregnant, contraindicated. Um, How about active females, active females, contraindicated? Yes. I mean, I'm I'm tempted to say active people of any gender because you need a fair amount of energy and you need enough carbohydrates. And I think women may pay a more severe and obvious penalty trying to perform and recover from exercise without enough energy is going to be a problem regardless of who you are. You're not going to have your best performances mm-hmm. there. So some of the other side effects that I think are really important to talk about are reflected in our personal experiences, such as mm-hmm. food preoccupation. Now, I think yeah. both of you said like during the times when you're trying not to eat or forbidding yourself from eating, you're thinking about food and heaven help the coworker who's like eating lunch at their desk next to you and you're trying to fast. <laughs> 
Oh, you just want to smash their face in. Yes, absolutely. And they're eating in front of you. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the main things that people come to us with as a complaint is that they're preoccupied with food. So not only may they have Mm -hmm. weight struggles, like you guys are nodding because we hear it every day. Like I'm obsessed with food. How do I stop? I want more from my life than daydreaming about food and planning it all day long. And so if that, if anyone listening feels like, yeah, I really want to decrease my preoccupation with food, fasting is absolutely not what is going to help with that. If anything, fasting is more likely to increase people's food obsession and attention to food cues, according to literature. Um, I will also throw some references in the show notes on the links between fasting and food preoccupation to save you some reading. It makes it worse. Uh, another thing. And it's also like this yeah. preoccupation of like, I'm thinking about like food that I can't eat. So it's like, I'm not even thinking about food. I'm trying to like not think about food and that's making me think about food. And it's just this whole cycle <laughs> just blows up. Totally. Totally. It's like, let's look at what we can't have. Ah, yeah. Not fun. Mm. Not fun. Something I, I did want to bring up that I just thought of and I had forgotten to bring up earlier was also the other issue that I see is the clients who tend to try to do it, especially if they start like the later eating window, they can't stop eating. Once they start their eating window, they have a, I don't understand. Like, I can't tell you the amount of women I've talked to who tell me they barely eat anything until lunchtime. And maybe even at lunch, they only have a salad and chicken. Mm. And then they're like, I walk in the door and I just start making dinner and not eating until I go to bed and I just have no control over food. I'm so weak. And I'm like, no, your poor body is telling you. You're hungry. You're not yeah. Hungry. And then it's like, we swap it. And they're like, oh my God, I can have like an egg sandwich with bread in the morning. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good breakfast. Egg sandwich, avocado, you know, some Canadian bacon, you know, whatever. And then they're like, they, the next session they follow up there. It was amazing. I had no desire to have any food after dinner. And it's like this whole change. And it's, we have to remember there's a physiological component to our psychological struggles with food. And if our bodies are struggling, they're going to communicate that through increasing our food focus and our appetite. Yeah. I mean, your brain is no fool. They're not going to let you just like starve yourself there. Like the more you try and withhold food, the more your brain is going to tune into every food cue and dial up your physical appetite and dial up your emotional appetite for food. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And it's not a personal flaw. I have some more research papers to share on that as well, that when I started digging for, you know, what are some of the impacts of intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding on quality of life and mental health, because I'm not Mm. only interested in weight loss. I'm also interested in how whole people feel. Food preoccupation came up. The second thing that was really jumping off page after page at me was binge eating. That Mm. the risk of binge eating skyrockets when somebody begins fasting. And for many people that work with us on healing from binge eating disorder, it began for many of them with a fasting sort of program. And so that's not a personal flaw. If you're binging after a fast, that is what biology has designed you to do. And even Roland, who is pro-fasting and believes that it can be really beneficial for people, when I pushed him on that, he's like, well, only if they can hold back and not overeat on the days 
that they're not fasting or during the hours that they're not fasting. Like you still have to exert self-control and restraint. And I said, well, if you look in the research, you know, whenever they do research studies, they typically, the protocol for intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding is a defined eating window when people can eat ad libitum or freely. And so what we see if people eat freely is that they don't lose weight. So that just means you're getting your whole day's worth of calories in a smaller eating window. And so uh, it does feel for many people like they lose control, which is upsetting. It -hmm. can also lead to other disordered eating behaviors, such as compulsive exercise or purging behaviors. Mm -hmm. Fasting itself Mm -hmm. is listed as a symptom of disordered eating in a lot of literature. So if we're looking at what are the things that define an eating disorder, it can be food restriction, compulsive exercise, self-induced vomiting, or fasting for the purposes of weight loss. So it's it's very interesting how the same behavior can be sold by some people as this health elixir that you should do. And yet mental health professionals are like, that's actually a symptom of a problem you realize. (laughs) And somebody on a time-restricted eating plan looks very much like somebody with binge eating disorder who's simply coping with the symptoms of their disease in terms of not eating for long periods of time. And then when they begin eating, eating rapidly, eating large amounts, not being able to stop when they're satisfied and potentially eating from when their eating window begins until they go to bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'd like to touch on one thing there too, is that it's interesting how we jump to these extremes, right? Whereas, you know, most of the research has shown that it's good not to eat maybe two hours before you go to bed, you know, to give yourself a little bit of room. Now, I will say, I think athletes and people who utilize a lot of energy and burn a lot of en- energy are exempt from that rule. But overall, I eat right the before bed every is- night. Yeah, I can't sleep. Well, you need to because you're, yeah, well, you're burning so (laughs) many. That's what I mean. That's why I say athletes are exempt because you're burning so many calories. But for most of my clients who are maybe walking or not doing any exercise whatsoever, for them to cut off that eating window after dinner and just go for a short walk outside or relax, whatever, just starting there, that's, that's, that's enough fasting. Just don't eat after dinner. Yeah. And then wait until the next morning when you feel hungry and then you're going to have breakfast. But most people who are jumping into fasting are people who are eating 24, you know, all day long. And instead of just going, you know what, I'm not, I'm eating after dinner and I'm actually not hungry. Maybe I'll just stop snacking after dinner. Yeah. It's like you said, Shannon, like when you, you feel like I'm all in, I don't want to do this sort of okay. I want to do it all the way. So yeah, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to do something, I don't want the moderate unsexy version. I want the extreme (laughs) health version, which of course has to be painful or it can't possibly be effective. But I don't agree with what Ariel is saying. When people have impaired metabolic flexibility and they want to improve their body's utilization of fat, getting plenty of exercise and not eating for about 12 hours overnight is Plenty to do it. There is no need to take it longer than that. But as we know, some people extend fasts for two, three days, even five days. What do you guys think when we talk about multi-day fasts? 
Uh, I think in my experience, uh, or at least what I've read and people have told me they do that, they're primarily interested in the autophagy or the cellular repair mechanisms, the anti-aging mechanisms. And so far, the research showing any benefit to that is in, I believe, rats or mice. And that the autophagy, all the research that has been done comparing autophagy with fasting or calorie restriction, you get the exact same benefits from calorie restriction that you do from fasting when it, in regards to autophagy. So there is no like cleaning or miraculous change. Like there's no special, at least that I'm aware of. Now I could be wrong. Maybe research will come out in the next 20 years disproving this. But <laughs> I have not seen any valid research or reason to be fasting for a prolonged period of time. It personally sounds like torture, but that's my, <laughs> that's my thought on that. How about you, Shannon? Yeah. How about you, Shannon? You know, I, I was reviewing some literature before we chatted about this to see if, you know, what's out there. And like you said, like, okay, it's one thing to say there, okay, here's my previous science teacher side coming out. There's, there's quality science. And then there's like, this is a very, very specific study. And so without getting into the too much of the weeds on that, I think it is, what are we looking at for like meta analyses on here? What are the literature reviews saying? There's a lot out there about like, is it going to lower insulin? Yeah, maybe. Cause like sometimes our fasting, like insulin levels go down or glucose levels go down. That makes sense. So there's that, but we can also get glucose controlled during the day just by what we're eating. So there's that. All of the benefits that are purported to come from fasting can be obtained in other ways. I really don't think mm -hmm. it's necessary to deprive yourself of food when we have options such as getting some exercise and improving your eating habits rather than trying yeah. to form a new not eating habit just to continue your poor eating mm -hmm. habits during a finite period of time during the day. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can get those benefits in a way that feels gentle and sustainable and like we're being kind to our bodies, like that shouldn't feel revolutionary, but it, it was to me, that right. was revolutionary to me. And there's a lot of very sensational benefits out there that I've heard of claims of like, you can kill cancer cells and you can like reset your dopamine and all of that. And personally, I've not seen the quality of studies that I would like to see to back it up. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And that maybe there are sensational benefits out there, but I would want to see some really quality research to back it up. But if we can get the benefits that we need to feel good in a way that's gentle, that doesn't require painful jumping through of hoops or white knuckling, not eating, then I'd say like, why isn't that our go-to? Yeah, it does. It seems like it's, it's strange how strange it is to simply look at giving ourselves what we require and giving ourselves what is comfortable and what feels natural and what produces feeling good. Like, is it amazing how long we all can persist and have persisted with doing things that were really making us feel like garbage? Um, I feel like there's this lack of trust almost that we have that, and this isn't just for me, this is like from talking to clients too, and things I've heard clients say that there's this lack of trust that the gentle path will actually get them the results they want. And then it's like, when I'm like, Hey, let's just, let's just try like 
being hungry a little bit before our meals and like eating some whole foods. You're like, no, 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 that, that can't possibly work. Like revolutionary. No Come on, Shannon, yeah. you can't be nice to me. I want results here. No, I, I, right? I hear it all the time. People are like, I'm just worried this isn't going to work for me. I'm like, well, we're just going to have to wait and experience will prove it to you because mm. kindness and empathy and just being gentle with yourself really get amazing results so much more than cracking the whip on yourself. And you know what I think is so ironic about all of it is how many times we've seen ourselves in the, in our history, spin our wheels, or we see our clients spin their wheels by making everything so much harder than it needs to be. Going back to what you said, Shannon, about the trust factor I, that just triggered something in me because I think yeah. that's one of the foundational pieces. People don't trust themselves with food. Yeah. They don't mm. trust themselves that they can even figure out. I mean, the amount of clients that ask me, what do I eat? I don't know what to eat. We're grown adults. Yeah. And the first thing is, what do I eat? Cause they're, and I, and I honestly think that a big piece of this is this industry has created such these such extreme and complicated approaches it's like that saying diet culture diet culture complicates nutrition to sell you something to uncomplicate nutrition and it's like and and it's it's so true and the truth of it of the matter is too is that if you are utilizing a process where you are learning to trust yourself with food it will never be a permanent transformation snaps. I love that. <laughs> it's and I think that's what makes us so unique. Yeah. I mean, that's what brought me to Georgie was just like your book, Georgie, you know, give yourself more was so powerful. Another what? plug, sorry, but I just what? had to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it was revolutionary for me too to realize that treating other people and treating myself with gentleness and care instead of like more discipline and more discipline and more discipline actually just led to thriving. So that's why we're all spreading the word. (laughs) Some of the important stuff that's come up in this episode, we talked about our personal experiences and how they really do exemplify the experiences of many, many people in particular women, because the three of us do happen to be women. But I think they also do demonstrate some of the unpleasant things that can happen to people of any gender who try intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding. So if you're wondering if you want to give it a shot and you haven't, beware. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, There is also a lot of alternatives to intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding. We teach people all the time how to trust themselves and their bodies Even if they're starting from step one of just trying to figure out what signals their body is even giving them, it's doable. You don't have to go to something drastic that leaves you hungry for lots of the time. You can do it in a way that's a lot more comfortable. So if you have questions about this or other topics, we would love to talk about them, help you find the answers that you need. You can always reach us through going to confideneaters.com. Throw your question into the chat bot. It goes to my personal inbox and I will make sure you get an answer. If you'd like to leave us a suggestion for what you want to hear on the next episode of the podcast, we would love that as well. I would just say, stop looking outside and start to look within. 
if fasting is something mm. that you're drawn to, really check in with yourself to see if that really resonates with you intuitively or if it's something where you're still looking for that quick fix. And if it comes gently, go with it. Like cutting out the evening yeah. snack. If it comes gently, go with it. But if you're struggling over it and struggling over it and struggling over it, it's not right. It's not working. Don't force it. Mm, exactly. All right, everybody listening, take good care of yourself and we will see you in the next episode. 